as we wrap up the Portraits of Faith sermon series, I want to ask a question to you that I want you to think on for just a second. Whose portrait does your life paint? Each of you, just think about that for yourself for a moment. Whose portrait does your life paint? A portrait is the likeness of a person, especially the face of a person. It's a painting or a drawing or a photo, or it's a verbal description of a person. So that question, whose portrait does your life paint? What I'm asking is when people look at you, when people interact with you, when people hear the words coming out of your mouth, when people engage with the actions of who you are, does your life, do your words, do they paint a picture of God or do they paint a picture of self? I think what we're seeing as we walk through Hebrews chapter 11 and what we're seeing here in this church body is that God has the power to transform us into something that we could never be on our own. We will either go through life giving people a taste of who I am, Andrew, the selfish, self-centered, cranky, want-it-my-way, middle kid, never-gets-enough-attention person, or God can transform me, and when you interact with me, you can get a picture of who God is. So church, does your life paint a portrait of God? Or when people think about you, do they pull up adjectives and characteristics that are ungodly? And unlike God. And so as we've been going through Portraits of the Faith series, we're seeing these heroes or these figures of faith in Hebrews 11 who point us to God and all of them were fallen, none of them were perfect. They all have characteristics that aren't God-like. But they're all remembered and they're etched, in, they're etched in history here in Hebrews 11 because they allowed God to transform them. Their lives painted a portrait of God. We have those stories among us. Church membership, church involvement. If, if you're new, if you're attending, we want you to know that you are welcome. You are not a second-class citizen. But we encourage you to become a member so that you can get to know the portraits of faith that are among us. There's many people in this room who demonstrate Christ-likeness in incredible ways. In fact, can I brag on my wife for a second? Is that okay with you? But she, she's going to be so mad at me. It's our 12-year anniversary today. Thanks for staying with me for 12 years. I don't know if we're going to have a good anniversary this evening because she's not going to like what I'm about to do, but that's okay, you can deal with it. So 12 years ago, on this date, we stood up in a church and we said our vows. Part of the vows that we made to each other was a creed that we had written. There we are, 12 years ago, look at our young little selves. She looks great, I look odd. Here's what we said to each other. Our creed, that we may live to glorify, honor, and praise God our Father as we continually fall in love with Jesus, our Savior. By the power of the Holy Spirit, our lives, our faith, and our home will be a testimony of God's unending love as we strive to love others the way Christ loves us. We love you, Lord, and we will follow your lead. That's a creed that we wrote. And we said we want our life to be defined by this. There's a little bit of theological accuracy in there because I knew that God was calling me to be a pastor. So we have the Trinity, God, Jesus, and the Spirit. Um, but then this characteristic of who we wanted our lives to be about. And, and in there, we talked about our home. And I just want to thank you, Brittany, for the way that you've lived this out and the way that you are a portrait to me of God. I see more and more of what God is like because of my wife. In this past week, 
Well, last Sunday, a week ago today, she brought six kids to church by herself, not just our three kids, because she was watching a friend's kids overnight. And so she, like a single mother, loaded six kids up, brought them to church, because I'm here early, I'm busy doing the pastor thing. She got all the kids back in the van and went home um, without me. Six kids here, six kids back home. She's had coffee with two women from the church this week. She's had dinner with three other women from the church this week. She has worked two full days to help pay our bills. She has met with two couples for premarital counseling. She's had neighbors into our home and talked with neighbors about life and struggles. She's had three of our supported missionaries in our home this last week. She's discipled our kids. She's balanced our bank accounts because if I do that, we won't have money. She's bought groceries. She's done laundry and all that. She's put up with me, so thank you. Thank you. I may have the title pastor and I may get the paycheck, but most of the fruit that God produces in our life is because of my wife. And so, hopefully that'll get me off the hook. She doesn't like to be bragged on in public, but I had to do that. Um, And I just want to give that as an example of how our lives can be lived to point others to Jesus. I know more of what God is like because of my wife, allowing God to transform her. This church family has many people like that I mean, I am more and more becoming like Jesus Christ because I am a member of this church family. Not because I stand up and preach at you. I am transformed by being a part of this body, by having you speak into my life, by having you challenge me, by having you encourage me. I cannot be an effective Christian if I'm not committed to a local body. And so thank you, church, for doing that as well. And I want you to continue to think, how does your life paint a portrait of God? It's going to look different for each one of us. Not everyone has the incredible bandwidth that my wife has to have like hundreds of people in our house throughout the course of a week, and that's okay. You don't need to conform into the image of likeness of another Christian. We conform to the image and the likeness of Christ as he transforms who we are, and he causes us to be a portrait of God to others. That's what we've seen here in Hebrews 11. And that's what we're told here in Hebrews 12. Look at Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore... Okay, so the author of Hebrews is a transitioning from all of these examples that he's given us. He's given us portraits as examples of faith, and now he's transitioning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all of these Old Testament figures that have been talked about, we are surrounded by them. Also, we're surrounded by our brothers and sisters. Therefore, because we are surrounded by them, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance to the race that is set before us. And doesn't life feel like a race? If you ever run in a race, it's hard, it's heavy, you have to train, you have to be prepared, there's challenges along the way, your legs get tired, your legs get sore, your mind does weird things, you want to quit, you want to give up. And isn't that what life is like? For most of us, at least some of the time. For all of us, at least some of the time. Life is like a challenging race that requires endurance. And we find endurance by looking at the examples given to us by God in his word and in our church family. Hebrews 11 makes it clear that our lives can paint a portrait of God. Thousands of years after these men and women died in Hebrews 11, we're still talking about them. Because their lives gave us a picture of God, not because of the bad part of their lives. And there definitely was bad parts, and we looked at that. Abel, he's one of the guys mentioned in Hebrews 11. He gave his first fruits to God. He's remembered for that. Enoch, he walked with God. 
He's remembered for that. Noah, he obeyed God. He's remembered for that. Abraham and Sarah trusted God. They're remembered for that. Moses followed God. He's remembered for that. Rahab feared God. She's remembered for that. Joshua followed God. Gideon listened to God. These men and women of Hebrews 11, we talk about them and we remember them because they painted for us a portrait of God. Their lives were a picture of what God is like. Yes, an imperfect picture, a broken picture, but they point us to a characteristic of God. And the key that kind of ties all of them together, as we've been going through Hebrews chapter 11, what ties all of these men and women together is trust. They all had different characteristics. They all had different stories. God used them in unique and different ways, but trust was a key element that holds all of them together. You cannot have faith in God if you do not trust God. We see this through all of these portraits. They're actions of trust. They took actions of, they took steps of faith. They were actions of trust. They stepped out into the unknown because they trusted that God would care for them. Because they knew what God had done in the past and they trusted God to fight for them into the future. I want to define faith this way this morning. Faith is trusting God's word, God's work, God's will, and God's way. As we've gone through Hebrews 11, looking at the different portraits of faith in Hebrews 11, all of them did this. They are etched in history in Hebrews 11 because they had faith in God, and faith in God is trusting God's word. God spoke to some of them in an audible voice. Others of them just had the story of God like us. We have the Bible, we have God's word given to us. And so the people of old and the people among us, the people who point, paint a picture, a portrait of Jesus, they're people who trust God. Do you trust what God has said? Hebrews 11 is filled with people who have trusted what God has said. And do you trust what God does? A lot of what we've been looking at as we've gone through Hebrews 11 is looking back to see what God has done, how he fights for his people, how he has come through for his people, how he has proven himself good and powerful and faithful in the midst of trying, challenging, unlikely circumstances, God works on behalf of his people. Do you trust that? Do you trust his will? Do you trust that he wills things to be done, that, that he has a plan and a purpose, and that he determines what is good and right and lovely and honorable and noble? Or do you try and usurp his will for your own will, for your own desires, for your own thoughts, for your own interpretation of what is good and right and lovely? And do you trust God's way? He doesn't always lead us the, the, the slickest way. I mean, we saw that all through these different figures as we looked at them. I mean, the people, verse 29, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea. When we looked at that passage, when we looked at that story, we saw that there was an easier way for God's people to be led out of Egypt and into the promised land. But God took them a different way. And he had his reasons. He had his purpose for that. And so, church, do you trust God? Do you trust the way that he leads you? Will you submit yourself to his leadership and surrender yourselves to the way that he leads? The figures of faith in Hebrews 11, they give us a picture of God because they believed his word. They looked at his work. They reminded one another of who God is and what God has done. They knew his will and they trusted his way. They followed his lead. And as we learn in Hebrews 12, 1, they're here for us as examples. They're the cloud of witnesses 
that surround us to show us who God is and what God is like. Yet their portrait is incomplete. Their portrait is incomplete. A picture, a portrait is a picture, it's not the real thing. Right? The Mona Lisa is just a picture of the person, Lisa, I forget her first title, somebody probably knows, I'm not much of an art or history person, but the Mona Lisa is a picture of a person, right? It's not the actual person, it's a picture of the person. So Hebrews 11, it gives us portraits. It doesn't give us the true substance, it gives us a small picture or a portrait. And we see that their portraits of faith are incomplete, Abraham, though he followed God, though he trusted God, there were times in his life when he failed to trust God, like when he lied to people about who his wife was. He told people that Sarah, his wife, was actually his sister because he didn't trust God to to provide and to work things out for his good. Or when Sarah laughed in God's face because God said, you will get pregnant and have a son, and Sarah said, I'm too old for that. She laughed in God's face. Maybe you relate more to that. Like God gives you this crazy plan, this, this promise, and rather than saying, yes, I trust God's word, God's will, and God's way, you kind of laugh and you doubt. That was Sarah. She's in Hebrews chapter 11 as a portrait of faith for us. Abraham lied because he didn't trust God, yet he's in Scripture as a portrait of faith for us. Or Gideon, who we looked at last week, he led 300 soldiers... 300 Israelite soldiers to conquer 130,000 Midianite soldiers. 300 versus 130,000, and they slaughtered them. An amazing work of God, right? Don't you think if God did something that miraculous in your midst that you would trust him completely? Well, guess what Gideon does after this happens? He sets up a pagan ephod, a, a symbol of worship, a coat of worship, a pagan coat of worship, which the people led God's people into idolatry. Because his trust was imperfect. His portrait was imperfect. David, David is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Scripture calls David, King David, a man after God's own hearts. And this is the same guy who looked out his window, saw a beautiful woman, committed adultery with her, took advantage of her. I mean, talk about sexual abuse and harassment. He looked out, he saw this beautiful woman who was married. Her husband Uriah was fighting in the war defending his king, King David. One of his warriors is out fighting, defending him and his nation. And David looks at this man's wife when, his, when the husband is away at war and he says, I want that. He takes her, he sleeps with her, he gets her pregnant, and he kills her husband. And he's here in Hebrews 11 as a portrait of faith. So clearly, our portraits are incomplete Right? And even biblical portraits are incomplete. They do these amazing things and God works powerfully in these people. Yet they're so broken and so riddled with sin. Isn't that it, isn't it crazy? I mean, think about what I just described about King David and he's in here as a portrait of faith. Surely you can do better than that, right? Let this be a reminder to you that all of us are weak and inclined towards sin. In our flesh, you and I are weak and inclined towards sin, yet faith in God transforms any sin-inclined person and gives us a different trajectory where we can actually live our lives in a way where people can look at us and see more of God rather than more of our broken, weak, insecure selves. Amen, church? 
God transforms you through his son and the power of his spirit that people can look at you and they can see God rather than you. That's what you should want. Whose portrait does your life describe? Whose portrait does your life point to? Does it point to the transforming grace, work, and mercy of our God and King? And the cloud of witnesses gives us portraits to imitate. But Hebrews 12 gives us a great Savior in whom we participate in life with. Hebrews 11 gives us portraits to imitate, but Hebrews 12 gives us the Savior in whom we participate. Hebrews 2, 12, 2. Let's start again at verse 1 of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We're surrounded by these people to help us run the race. This is our cloud of witnesses. They are a cloud of witnesses. But ultimately, we look to Jesus. We are here for each other's example. The figures of Scripture are here for our example. But together, we point one another to Jesus. Why? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We're examples, but Jesus is the founder and the perfecter. Jesus is the founder. The Greek word is archaeos. It means that he is the finisher, that, he, that, that he's the beginner, that he, it originates with him. He is the author of faith. He is before us. He comes after us. He walks with us. He is the founder, or the author, as some translations call him, of our faith. Portraits are just copies, right? But Jesus is the original. It's like the moon reflects the light of the sun. Jesus is the radiant son of God. And when we trust in him, when we follow him, he can reflect his goodness off of us. That's what happens with the people here in Hebrews 11. They trust God and God reflects his goodness off of them into the world. Flip to Hebrews chapter 1 with me. And let's look at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 1 to be reminded. We went through this months ago. But Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And those are some of the people mentioned in Hebrews 11. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So Jesus is the, the founder in that he existed before any of these figures of faith, any of these portraits. He existed before you and I. He created all things. And then verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of the nature of God, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the founder of our faith. He's the substance of our faith. For you to have a worthwhile portrait for others to look at that points to God, it doesn't have to do with the veracity or the strength of your faith, but it has to do with the subject of your faith. Do you look to Jesus, the founder of your faith? It all originates with him. It all comes from him, church. And so if you want a portrait that points others to God, don't try harder. Look more intently at the one who has founded life and faith and given you an opportunity to participate.
Secondly, Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that he is the perfecter, teleotos. This means that he achieves a goal or he completes something. He is the perfect one. He is the finisher. So while examples are well a cloud of witnesses, like the people mentioned in Hebrews 11, like you and I here together, we're examples, we're portraits. Hopefully, on our best days, we help point one another to Jesus. But we're only examples to help combat unbelief and sin. Jesus, he's the one who does away with sin, who does away with unbelief. Jesus gives us saving faith. Jesus removes from us the shame of sin. Examples, you and I, when we do life together, at our best, we help one another fight sin. Sins that we've committed and then sins that have been committed against us. Man, the shame that the enemy brings to us because of the sin that we've done and sin that's been done to us is just out of control and we can, in relationship with one another, be examples and help point one another forward. But we point one another forward to Jesus because he's the perfecter. He's the one who says it is finished. We help carry one another towards the finish line, but he's the one who gets us across the finish line. We're like a team of runners kind of limping towards the end together and Jesus picks us up, brings us across the finish, finish line and says, I've done it for you. It is finished. I am yours. Look, at, look to Jesus, verse 2, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Sin brings shame. All of us feel shame because of what we've done and things that have been done to us. And here the way out of that is to together look to Jesus, the one who founded our faith, the one who established our faith, the one who perfects our faith, because we can't. Church, we can't do it. We can't follow God in perfect faith. We can't follow God in perfect obedience. We can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and get more morally sound and do our devos enough and listen to worship music enough and do the religious duties enough that God would be pleased with us. Our only hope is to look to Jesus together as a body. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter. He's the only one who lived the perfect life, the life that we can't, died a sacrificial death in our place and gave us new life. So as we wind down this series, Portraits of Faith, I just want to stop there and say and remind us that these other people are portraits, but Jesus is the perfecter. He's ultimately the one that we ought to look to, that we need to grab onto, that we grab a hold of the one who gives us salvation. So yes, church, we look at one another. We encourage one another. We drag one another on towards the finish line of life. We can't endure alone. We need each other to endure. But we need each other to endure by pointing our eyes, fixing our gaze, setting our hearts on Jesus, the author and perfecter. As we wrap up this sermon series, just a couple of questions for you. Are you living as though you trust God? Are you? Ask yourself that. Are there discernible things that I'm doing that would show that I actually trust God or am I living my life in a way where it, where it seems like I only trust myself? Do, I, do you trust God with your money? Do you give it away? Do you trust God with your, with your relationships? Do you, do you follow him day in and day out? Church, what steps of faith might, be, might he be asking you to take today 
and in the coming weeks and months? Do you trust him? Second question, is your life worth imitating? Is your life worth imitating? Are you living in such a way that your life paints a portrait of God? Or is your life painting a picture of small, little, crabby you? Is your li- <laughs> I'm crabby. Ask my wife. She's been with me for 12 years, and there's days where my life paints a picture of me, and how awful is that? I do not want my life to point to Andrew Peterson. What a fool. What a failure. What a selfish, self-centered idiot I am. Seriously. But when God transforms me, he makes me someone different, someone new. So you, church, is your life worth imitating? Are you living your life in a way that it paints a picture of God? So that when people interact with you, they feel like they were in the presence of the living God. That's why we're here. When we encounter one another, when we go out into this desperate world that's dying and broken and dysfunctional, when we engage with people outside of these walls and even inside of these walls, do people walk away from that encounter saying, there's something different about that person. I feel like I was in the presence of holiness because they should. Last week, Garth preached, and he said, what are we doing when we go to Target? As he shared the story about a lady who went to Target as a mission field. That phrase has stuck with me all week. I think that's a picture of this. Is your life worth imitating? Are you living your life in a way where it paints a portrait of God? Or are you just going about your daily duties, day by day, step by step, thinking about you, doing your thing, getting your money, paying your bills, buying your things, doing whatever you need to do, whatever's in front of you? What are we doing when we go to Target? What are we doing when we go to the gas station? What are we doing at home when we're sitting on our phones, scrolling for hours, not engaging the people around us? Is your life worthy of imitation? But now let's pause there and move to the hope. It's not all about us. It's about Jesus. Are you looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, thank you to those of you in this church who are a cloud of witnesses helping me to run the race. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, I pray now that as we respond to this word with worship and with communion, I pray that we would look to you, the founder and perfecter. I pray that the elements, the the bread, the cracker, and the juice would remind us that you endured the cross so that we wouldn't have to. You lived the perfect life that we are incapable of living, died the sacrificial death, that we deserve, took the punishment for our sin. And so now may we together look to you and receive from you the grace and the mercy of God. And may we live out the new life and the new identity and the new status and sons and daughters that you've called us to. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.